Well, hello everyone. It's, it's wonderful to be with you here this afternoon. And I would like to begin by offering up a prayer to a saint who is perfectly appropriate for our topic this afternoon, entertainment. And this is Saint Genesius. You may not have heard of him. He was, I believe, a fourth century AD saint from the Roman period who was an actor and uh, not a Christian uh, when he uh, went into acting. And he, in fact, loved to mock Christianity. And in one performance, he and another actor were mocking Christian, Christian baptism and Genesius was playing the one being baptized, and just as the waters of baptism poured over his head, as the story goes, uh, the light of grace broke through, and he experienced a moment of conversion. So let's ask St. Genesius to pray for us during our time together and to pray for our entertainment industry in the world. My subtitle for the talk is this, How to Think About, Enjoy, and perhaps even create fun and beautiful works of entertainment for an anti-culture bent upon destroying all that is fun and beautiful without losing your soul and your mind. But before I begin, you may be wondering, why am I a philosopher talking about popular entertainment? Am I slacking off from my real work? Shouldn't I be somewhere? talking about the meaning of being? Well, I should be thinking about the meaning of being, but I think I should also, and I, I think you as well, should be thinking about the nature of entertainment. And that for a couple reasons. First of all, there is nothing, nothing in reality that philosophy cannot think about and contemplate. That's what philosophy is. It's a desire to know wisdom, which is a desire to know all. Now, we do so by the natural light of reason. The theologian will also depend upon God's revelation, but the philosopher, just by his or her natural lights, seeks to know the truth of things and all of the truth of things. So it's, it's perfectly appropriate for a philosopher to think about entertainment. But a second reason why I do so is because, as we'll be seeing, entertainment is part of the good life. In fact, entertainment is a virtuous activity. And it redounds not only to the good of an individual, it redounds to the good of that individual's family life and friendships and, and even to the common goods of political life. So we have good reasons to think about entertainment this afternoon. I also want to say that I'm not, I'm not just here to bash popular entertainment, not by any means. I bet you're like me. There are many forms and particular pieces of popular entertainment that you enjoy very much whether it's you know, your favorite series of novels or your favorite streaming series or, I don't know, your favorite game. We all enjoy entertainment. And I could go on for our whole time together just, just reveling in all of the films and shows and books that I love. Um, so I don't want to just um, 
provide a negative critique of entertainment today. Yet at the same time, I do want to recognize that we all face problems when we encounter our entertainment culture today. I mean, think of it this way. We all need a rest from our labors, right? Especially in our culture, which is so dominated by work and busyness. We, we, we just need real rest. And we need a rest that, that allows us to, to laugh. You know, I mean, there's nothing just more you know, invigorating and relaxing and life-infirming than just a real belly laugh. We need that as human beings. We also need the, the inspiration that comes from entertainment. And most of all, we need the truth and the beauty that shines through beautiful works of art. But the problem is our culture really doesn't nourish us in those ways, at least not on a consistent basis and not always with excellence. We're desiring real nourishment and our culture too often at any rate is giving us fast food. And a lot of times, if you're like me, you come away from an experience of popular entertainment and it's like you've just crammed you know, a, a Big Mac and a large fries and a chocolate shake in. It, 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 it tasted good in the moment, but the minute you're done, you kind of feel bloated and regretful. We in many ways live in what I would call an anti-culture. And what do I mean by that? Well, a culture, when it's healthy, is going to be defined most of all by its worship, right? And by its right worship of God. That's, that's most essentially what culture is. And secondarily, a healthy culture is going to be one that is ordered around the pursuit of truth and goodness and beauty. And I'll think, I think you'll agree with me that, that our culture isn't defined by those values. We can certainly find those values in our culture. Again, we don't want to just bash or provide a negative critique. But I still think it's fair to say that our culture is, is not defined by those values and in certain quarters we can find it explicitly trying to attack those values. So we live in anti-culture and what we need is a renaissance in popular entertainment. One that is fueled by Christians and hopefully Catholics, especially, right? Armed with the kind of education that we provide here at Christendom College, one that really enriches the imagination. There's a wonderful metaphor used by G.K. Chesterton that I always think of when I think of the problem of popular entertainment. And the metaphor is that of the sword and the trowel. Chesterton once wrote that when you want to build up a culture, you need both a sword and a trowel. The sword stands for logic. It stands for argument. It stands for debate and dialectic and trying to convince um, those who might be um, espousing other ways of life of the truth of our position. We need that. 
can't have a culture without the sword. That's the weapon of defense. But to build a culture, you also need a trowel. You need something to dig with. You need something to build with. And for Chesterton, the trowel was the imagination. And what we need today in our world of popular entertainment is, is we need a renewed, an enriched, and a truly Christian imagination. Okay, let's do a little philosophy now. I am drawing in my remarks here upon our great mentor here at Christendom College and the, the church's foremost theologian, St. Thomas Aquinas, 13th century Dominican scholar and saint, and specifically his great work, the Summa Theologiae, the, the summary of theology. And I invite you, perhaps now or even later, to look up the text I'm referring to. There's a good English translation of it on the New Advent website. If you just search online, St. Thomas, Summa, it'll take you to New Advent. And if you're not familiar with the Summa, once you get to its main page, I would direct you to go to the second part of the second part, right? The second part of St. Thomas's Summa is on the moral life. And he wrote a lot about the moral life. And so that section of his Summa is, is split up into two parts. So you have a first part of the second part, the prima secundae in Latin, and then you have the second part of the second part, the secunda secundae, the second, um, the second part. And I ask you to go to question 168. That's deep into the work. And there, believe it or not, he's talking about the virtue of temperance, of moderation. And it's there he locates his discussion of popular entertainment. So that, that's amazing right? that this great theologian, this great mind, spent even a little bit of time in one of his greatest works to think about the nature and the meaning of popular entertainment and its role in the good life. So again, I'm in the second part of the second part of Aquinas' Summa Theologiae, question 168. It's divided into four sections called articles. I'm focusing most of all on the second article because it's there I think we find from St. Thomas a definition of entertainment. And that's the first thing I would like to sort out. What exactly is entertainment? Now, before St. Thomas defines anything, he always takes up objections to what will eventually be his own view. And he takes up an objection from another doctor of the church, St. John Chrysostom, the golden mouth, who was a fourth and early fifth century saint, Archbishop of Constantinople. And it was Christendom who said, Chrysostom who says, it is not God, but the devil who gives us play. We may often feel that same way sometimes when we're watching a movie one night and we have to turn it off because of offensive scenes. And we think it's, it's not God, it's the devil who is giving me this piece of entertainment. St. Thomas, however, takes a different view. 
And in fact, he agrees with an argument taken from another doctor of the church, and that is the great St. Augustine, Bishop of Hippo. And Augustine's argument, in brief, is this. It is fitting for a wise man to sometimes relax his intense sharpness for doing things. But it is through playful words and deeds that this relaxation of the mind from doing things occurs. Therefore, being wise and virtuous involves sometimes making use of such things, such playful words and deeds. So I'm taking what St. Thomas calls playful words and deeds as popular entertainment. And the argument from St. Augustine, again, simply boils down to this. Life is difficult. The good life that we're trying to pursue is, is a rigorous one. And we know on a supernatural level, it's, it's, it's a carrying of a cross. It's hard work. And we can't sustain that hard work all the time. We need to relax. So it's an absolute necessity in order to pursue the virtuous life that we at times relax our pursuit by actually practicing another virtuous act. And that is the act of enjoying, perhaps even creating, popular entertainment. It's interesting. It's because life is difficult that we need popular entertainment. So a definition of entertainment is emerging. Entertainment is the enjoyment of humorous deeds, humorous language, humorous activities, light activities, we might say, that are pleasurable for their own sake, but which we also pursue for the sake of preparing us for further rigor in our pursuit of the good life. So when you sit down to play a board game with the family, you are pursuing an enjoyable activity, one that makes you smile, makes you laugh. It's good for its own sake, playing that game. But it also has this further end, and that end is is to prepare us for life when when the game is over. That's the definition of entertainment. But the philosophical questions get really interesting when we ask, okay, but what sorts of activities really count as entertainment? What are these pleasurable activities in which we find this rest? Well, there are certain restful, very pleasurable activities that we don't tend to call entertainment. So for example, a nap. I would love a nap this afternoon. I don't think I'm gonna get one, but I would sure love one. That's certainly a pleasurable activity. It's certainly pleasurable in and of itself. It certainly prepares me for future rigors in my pursuit of the good life. But we don't, we don't tend to call an afternoon nap entertainment. Nor do we tend to call an activity like going outside and working in the garden entertainment. It's certainly a leisurely activity. No one's denying it's a pleasurable activity. But it seems to be missing the note of entertainment, right? Working in the garden, 
So what is that note of entertainment? I want to invite you to think about this. It seems to me that entertainment, when we enjoy it or make it, involves an artifact of some, of some kind. Something is made by someone for our or for others entertainment. It could be something as simple as a joke. I mean, think about it. A, a joke is a made thing. And if you tell jokes well, that means you have mastered the craft of telling a joke. It's a little artifact. Even when you play something as simple as um, a little game on your smartphone. My family and I like to play a little word game called Wordle. It's a very popular game now. You may have heard of it. It's just, it's just a guessing game. You're trying to guess a five-letter word and you have six tries to get it right. And the game will tell you if you guess a particular letter correctly to kind of give you a leg up. It's, it's fun. It's entertainment. But someone has made something. Someone has created an app that allows me to enjoy that particular pleasure. So again, I would say that entertainment has the note of entering into a made thing. And that becomes very obvious when we're talking about being entertained by a film, by a streaming series online, or by a novel that we're reading uh, at bedtime. Obviously, those are all made things. Okay, so we've been talking about the nature of entertainments. Now I want to talk about the ways in which we can abuse our desire for entertainment. Remember, St. Thomas puts entertainment under a discussion of temperance. Right? And what is temperance? It's, it's a holding back. It's a restraining of desire, typically so that we do not enjoy that desire in ways that are contrary to reason. Right? So that we don't run to excess in our enjoyment of that desire. And we don't want to run to excess in our enjoyment a popular entertainment. So in this same Article 2, the second section of Question 168, St. Thomas notes three ways in which we can abuse our desire for popular entertainment. First and most obviously, when the entertainment involves something shameful or harmful to others, well, then it's, it's morally illicit and we shouldn't indulge in it. Um, if something's obscene, right? uh, if something really, really goes against the truths, the moral truths of the human person, then you know, we shouldn't indulge in it. There's a spectrum here. Sometimes we cannot indulge in it by you know, fast-forwarding through the movie as opposed to, to turning the television on. But there are other instances when we should turn the television off. It depends on certain circumstances. But generally, of course, we want to refrain from the shameful, the harmful. Right? Secondly, and I love this point that St. Thomas makes, right? he says, in a piece of entertainment, we go to excess if the mind's seriousness 
is totally lost. And then he puts that same thought more positively. Something of the light of an upright mind should be reflected in our very humor. I love that. Something of the light of an upright mind should be reflected in our very humor. Our rationality should still shine through. We should not just sink into our animal nature when we're enjoying or making a piece of popular entertainment. That raises another really interesting question, though. How much of the light of the upright mind needs to be present in a work of entertainment? So, for example, I'm the kind of person who, at the end of the rigors of a long day, will want to curl up with Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov, a very demanding 19th century Russian novel. Is that entertainment? It's certainly pleasurable, but is it better to describe it as a kind of higher literary intellectual pleasure rather than entertainment? There might be some truth to that, but I don't know, on some days it does feel a little closer to entertainment. Given the kind of day I've gone through, you know, reading Dostoevsky is is just pure fun. So sometimes for me, I think it would count as entertainment, but I would admit that I don't want a steady diet of Dostoevsky's. Or maybe a steady diet's fine, but I don't want an exclusive diet of Dostoevsky. Even I would want to go to something a little lighter, right? To, 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 to relax myself, right? Take a break from Dostoevsky and move toward, you know, a P.G. Woodhouse, right? It seems that entertainment needs to combine a certain lightness with also that light of an upright mind. It needs to hit a sweet spot so that its intellectual demands are not too much for us, so that it feels like a strain, but yet it can't be so vapid that there is no light of the upright mind. And I think some of the greatest works of art throughout history, works of art that we might think of works of the highest literary or artistic seriousness are actually great examples of what popular entertainment should aspire to be. And I think here, foremost of of the works of Shakespeare, which in his own day were were broadly popular works. So common laborers would spend a day's wages to be a groundling, which was to stand before the stage, stand during the entire three, four-hour play, because they were riveted by it. It was their entertainment. Yet who would deny that a play of Shakespeare also is, is full of, of intellectual riches? That's the sweet spot par excellence. All right. We've been talking about ways in which entertainment can run to excess. The third way is that the circumstances have to be right. You may have a great joke, but it's the absolute wrong time to tell it. So we always have to be mindful of where we are, what time it is, who we're talking to. Um, 
the age of the people who are engaging in the entertainment, right? Is it, is it age appropriate? All these considerations have to come into play in discerning whether this entertainment really helps us achieve the virtue of entertainment. Interestingly, I'll just note this. We most often run to excess when it comes to the enjoyment of entertainment, but St. Thomas, and this is in the fourth article of this question 168, also talks about how we can be deficient in pursuing entertainment. That is, we don't enjoy a good laugh. We don't enjoy a good joke. We don't enjoy these lighter, lighter forms of entertainment that I've been talking about. That's a moral deficiency on St. Thomas's view, and that's something we have to guard against as well. The last thing I want to touch on before I take your questions is something that St. Thomas touches upon in the third article, the third part of this question 68. And he talks about the social role of the entertainer. And it's interesting because he's talking about the office, as he calls it, of the actor. Again, I'm just charmed by that, that St. Thomas would have anything to say about the role of the actor, but he does. And this is in the third objection in this article in St. Thomas's reply, if you want to look it up. Um, but the objection says that, well, actors, as they were in the Middle Ages and as, as they sometimes seem to be today, even on the celebrity level, are, are, are living lives and they're doing things on stage as St. Genesius originally did that are, that are just obscene, distasteful, morally abhorrent. We should not support them in any way. St. Thomas responds by saying, no, quite the contrary. We don't want to support those who are pursuing entertainment contrary to virtue. But those that are, we do want to support. And he says it's an act of justice to reward them for their labors. And it's interesting for us to think, what does justice demand of us when it comes to popular entertainment? Who should we be supporting? What institutions should we support? What venues are worthy of our support? Or do we really have to create venues of our own in order to realize the ideal of popular entertainment that I've been sketching forth here? That's a large question. But I know you have some questions too. And so um, I'm gonna read them first and then take a crack at them. First question is, entertainment often has scenes that are wrong, morally wrong, while the work is still mostly good, how do we enjoy such works properly? Great question. It's one we all, all, all struggle with. Um, it depends is, is the wonderful answer. Uh, hopefully not an unhelpful one, but it's a true one. It depends on the work itself. Um, my family and I just the other night were watching a film that surprised us by its its positive message, by its humor, uh, by how delightful it was. Um, it's not a work for the ages by any means, but it was, it was a pretty good popular movie, uh, a, a, a Hollywood offering that's worth seeing. But the characters in the story were, they were the sexual mores that were portrayed in that film were not, um, 
you know, uh, as written up in the catechism, let us say. Nothing uh, obscene was shown, but certainly implied. So what do you do? Um, my prudence in the moment judged that I didn't necessarily need to fast forward or turn it off. Um, it, didn't, it didn't cross a very heavy line, but it was certainly something that I didn't want to just take in and at least not reflect on and be critical about. But of course, there's going to be other films, uh, for example, that do cross a very heavy line. Sometimes you can get away with fast forwarding. Sometimes you just have to turn it off. And notice that's where temperance is really demand demanded. You really need to restrain your desire to enjoy that humor and, and just say no in the end. And that applies, of course, not just to movies. It's a big question, but hopefully that's a start. Second question, what are some little known movies or books that you think should be better known? Where do I begin with that? That's all, that, I mean, I could be here all night with that. Little known movies are books that you think should be better known. Um, it surprises me when it comes to little known books that one of my favorite authors is increasingly uh, little known. I still think of him as a very famous and, and uh, very popular author, but I, I notice that he is, he, he's, he's just not known by as many people as I think, and that's the author I mentioned earlier, the British comic writer P.G. Woodhouse. If you are really looking for that belly laugh I mentioned earlier, and just sheer delight with supreme, consummate, I would say, uh, literary artistry combined, uh, it's P.G. Woodhouse. You don't go to P.G. Woodhouse for the great philosophical ideas, though, though what he has to say is, 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 uh, is fine enough, but uh, the comic situations, the verbal humor, it's, it's unsurpassed. I think he's, he's one of the greatest comic writers of all time. So I'll, I'll, mention, I'll mention Woodhouse here. Um, go read him. Next question, what recommendations would you have for aspiring filmmakers so they can bring true beauty to the world? Another fabulous question, a huge, um, a huge issue. Um, so many things I might say. Number one, get so good that they can't ignore you. This is my advice to myself and to all artists, and in particular, young artists just getting started. And it's the comedian Steve Martin's advice. This was the advice that Steve Martin would always give to um, aspiring stand-up comedians and other kind of comedians who wanted to break into the business. And they would say, Steve, how do I, how do I, how do I make it? How do I get an agent? How do I get a booking? How, how do I break in? And Steve Martin's advice would be, um, be so good they can't ignore you. And that would often disappoint the person he was talking to because they, they wanted you know, a connection. But it's the best advice you, you, you can hear. Get so good at your craft that the world cannot but pay attention to you. Right? What's interesting too, and I'll just note this, I, I would bet a lot of you out there are at least aware, if you haven't seen, this new series on the life of Christ, The Chosen, 
What's interesting about that series, whatever, whatever you think about the, the, the theology or the quality of it, what, what's interesting is the way they funded it, right? They, they at least started by uh, crowdfunding the series and since then have made tens of millions of dollars. And, and simply, they, they did it themselves. They didn't do it through... Uh, a major production company. They simply raised the money and they did it themselves. And then eventually they got, um, they got deals with Netflix and Amazon. They were so good and had such a great audience, they could not be ignored. That's not the only path, but it's an interesting path and one that the digital world has made possible. So one to think about. Um, can you expound on on your understanding of culture. I can, and I do it in a whole class called the philosophy of culture that I teach here at Christendom. Um, how can I expound? Well, I can at least make a recommendation. A lot of my ideas about culture come from a wonderful little book that we like to recommend here at Christendom, Joseph Pieper's Leisure, The Basis of Culture. Um, please read, read, go to that book if you haven't heard of it. Um, my definition of culture, again, comes from Pieper, and it, it comes down to, to, to worship, and more generally, activities of genuine leisure. And leisure activities are activities in which we are in active pursuit. We're not just lying in a hammock drinking lemonade, but we are in active pursuit of something true, something good, something beautiful, beyond the demands of the workaday world. We're not in the business of making a living and paying the rent or the mortgage. We, we transcend that. And I mean, all that's necessary, don't get me wrong. But the heart of culture is when we transcend the work a day and enter into the world of leisure and most particularly into the realm of worship. That's culture. That's where we really develop the gifts that God has given us. What's your opinion of To Kill a Mockingbird? Whoa, uh, you mean Harper Lee's original book? Do you mean the Gregory Peck movie? Do you mean the, um, the Aaron Sorkin musical? Uh, I can't speak to the Aaron Sorkin musical. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the Gregory Peck movie forever. I haven't read the book forever. Um, True Confessions, I haven't read it, I don't think, since high school. I remember liking it. Um, I can't really say more than that. I'm sorry. I, th I think it's I think it's a it's a fine work of American literature. I would even before revisiting it has revisiting it hesitate to say it's among the very best works of American literature. Um, but it's clear that it's achieved a certain excellence. Yeah, maybe one more. Do you have any advice for someone addicted to entertainment? It's, it's thank you for your question, for your honesty, and notice the verb, addicted. That's why St. Thomas puts this whole discussion under the virtue of temperance, because it's entertainment really calls upon our passion to be entertained and excited and thrilled and taken on an adventure of some kind that's going to make us smile and laugh and, and full of wonder. But we need to moderate that and it can too easily slide into addiction. If addiction is the real issue, is, is really an issue here, then I think we need to say no. 
for certain things. It needs to be a hard stop. Um, and that is very hard. That's going to take a lot of grace and know that we're all here um, praying for whoever uh, in our audience or whoever we may be thinking about who is addicted to entertainment. That's, that's, that's a cross to bear. I want to thank you. Thank you for being with me here this afternoon and, and thinking with me about this very important topic. If you're interested in seeing other of these principal lunchtime talks, um, please go to our website, Get Principles, here at Christendom College. And you can see these other principles, lunchtime lectures, and you can see other uh, longer courses that we offer. And if you're interested in learning about me and uh, my work trying to build up a culture of entertainment, I encourage you to go over to my Substack, which is called The Comic Muse. And that is where I um, offer my own thoughts and ideas about a renaissance in the world of popular entertainment. Thank you all, everybody. Have a great rest of this day and God bless.